Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow, but he doesn't know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all the shrubs. And it puts forth large branches, so much so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, well, I'm totally messed that up. <laughs> With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. There we go. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. found myself thinking a lot about my seminary experience these days. I think it's because I've never loved and hated a place so much <laughs> at the same time before, which is why I'm still processing it all two years later after graduation. But one of the things that is really special about the seminary that I went to, though, is that it has a pretty Benedictine vibe to it. If you're not familiar, the Benedictine monastic tradition really revolves around three things, work, study, and prayer. So our formation for the priesthood also revolved around these things. And it's this that makes the school really unique. As a student there, you're not just in a classroom studying theology or the Bible all day long. Like, yeah, we did that too, of course, but more was required of us than just head knowledge. Prayer and work were also woven into our formation. For example, like we had to go to chapel twice a day, at least five days a week. So this meant that we spent nearly two hours in prayer together most days. It really shapes you. Additionally, all of us had different jobs on campus. Some worked the grounds, others in the library, and some assisted professors. But my job was by far the best. You see, I was a refectorian. That sounds awfully impressive, doesn't it? Well, you should be impressed. And many people outside of my seminary bubble acted quite impressed whenever I proudly boasted that I was a refectorian. To be fair, they didn't actually know what the word meant, <laughs> so what else were they to do but act as impressed with me as I was with myself, right? <laughs> Whenever they found out, though, that the title refectorian is just a fancy Episcopalian word for that guy who does the dishes, <laughs> let's just say that they weren't quite so impressed anymore. <laughs> so one day, while I was doing the dishes, the most sacred duty of a refectorian. 
One of my classmates, he asked me a question that I hadn't given much thought to before. He asked me, TJ, what would happen if after three years of seminary and all of the money and the time you have invested into becoming a priest, and after all of the ordination interviews and all of the hoops that you have to jump through for the diocese, what would happen if the bishop decided in the end not to ordain you? What would happen if the bottom came falling out of like this whole project, right? The answer that came out of my mouth that day, I think it surprised me just as much as it surprised him. Honestly, I told him that I would be very happy to be rejected. That I would actually find it to be quite liberating. You see, I felt the call to holy orders whenever I was 18 years old. Christmas break of my senior year of high school was when it happened. And for most of my adult life, I am 36 now, I haven't been able to imagine myself doing anything else. Like my identity was completely bound up with my sense of calling. If I am not a minister, well then who am I? In that moment though, as I was scrubbing sriracha sauce <laughs> off of plates, I noticed that something within me somewhere along the way had shifted. I realized that I really could do something else and still be really incredibly happy. And I realized that if the Episcopal Church never had me as one of its priests, it would turn out to be just fine. <laughs> and that the kingdom of God would get along just fine without having me as another ordained person within it, right? Don't get me wrong. I feel called to this work. I am not giving up on it. That's not, what, that's not the point I'm making. I love being a priest. And I especially love being the people of St. Paul's priest. And I always knew that things would work out in the end. I knew the bishop was going to ordain me. I had faith, right? But I will tell you that there is incredible freedom in letting go in finding some level of detachment from all of the important plans that you make for your life. There's incredible freedom in being truly open to all of the ways in which life could possibly unfold for you. In fact, throughout the course of my lifetime, I have learned that God's dreams for me have always been way, way bigger than any of the dreams I could have ever imagined for myself. So those times that I have clung to things, to my own concrete plans for how everything is supposed, supposed to go, those times where I have sought to force my life into going down a certain path, those by far have been the hardest and the unhappiest seasons for me. But whenever I've given myself permission to let go, and when I have let the Spirit of God lead me into the great unknown, those are the seasons where everything seems to come together with incredible ease and simplicity. They have been the seasons where the seemingly impossible becomes possible, where joy always has a way of finding me and permeating everything. My friends, the point is there is great freedom in coming to the realization that you are not God.
And that as much as you might want to be the master of your own destiny, your destiny is never something that you are going to be able to master. You can grab at the cool summer breeze, hoping to capture and contain it and control it. Or you can appreciate it for what it is as it dances off of your skin. You can try to clasp the gentle waters in your hands, hoping to possess the river. Or you can simply let yourself float along with its current. I heartily agree with one of history's greatest mystics, perhaps the greatest, whenever he said that detachment, the art of non-clinging, the art of letting go, is the highest of all the virtues, higher by far than love, soaring even higher than humility, because you can love God, but still never let him love you. You can humble yourself before God, but never understand just how much God has humbled himself for your sake. Whenever you learn the art of detachment, though, the art of letting go, the art of simply letting things be, however, you truly open yourself up to God's grace. You learn how to let yourself be loved by God. You learn how to rest in God's resting in you. It is this wisdom, the wisdom of detachment, that lies at the heart of Jesus' teaching today. In our gospel reading, Jesus tells two parables. One is about a farmer growing crops, and the other is about a tiny mustard seed growing to become a sizable plant. Both parables are about the planting of seeds and the growing of those seeds. While one parable focuses more on the stages of the growth, the other focuses more on how the creatures, birds, find their rest on the branches that have grown from the seed. There's many takeaways from both of these parables, but there's one clear central teaching to both of them. The central teaching to both parables is that the growth happens all on its own. The kingdom of God is like someone scattering seed on the ground, and they go to sleep and they awake night and day, same old routine, and the seed would sprout and grow, but the sower does not know how. And before you know it, the tiny mustard seed has grown into the greatest of all shrubs. The point is that the kingdom of God will grow all on its own. That's just what it does. We don't grow it. God does. All we have to do is learn how to get out of the way of this growth, to simply let it be what it is in our midst. The crops in both of these stories, they would have grown regardless of the farmer's influence. The mustard seed would have grown into a shrub regardless of whether or not the birds of the air ever nested in its branches. It's not about what we do or don't do. It's all about what God does within us. The kingdom of God is planted within us. And we only come to actualize it whenever we stop trying to plant the kingdom of God within us. We grow spiritually whenever we stop trying to grow spiritually. Whenever we detach ourselves from any and all desire for spiritual progress. 
and if you have ears, then hear, we must even detach ourselves from the desire for detachment. We must stop clinging to the desire to be not clingy. The kingdom of God comes in its fullness whenever we realize that we don't want to be anywhere else other than where we are right now. Because it is only in the now, the right now, that the fullness of God is available to us. The past is gone and the future is not yet. What matters is not where you have come from, where you have been, or where, you, where it is you think you are going. What matters is where you are right now in this present moment, because that is where God is meeting you. Detachment occurs whenever we stop trying to recreate the past and whenever we stop wishing for greater peace for tomorrow. It occurs whenever we start realizing that all of the peace we will ever need can be found with God in this present moment. So learn from the wisdom of the farmer that it is not about trying to grow the kingdom of God, but about bringing our awareness to how the kingdom of God will blossom with or without us. Learn from the wisdom of the birds that the kingdom of God is not about growing the shrub. It's about resting in its branches.